Okay, so we are reading John chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. I received this email a couple of days ago from a close friend in the UK. Now, the email was a sobering email. They wrote, Dear family and friends, Some of you may know that I have been in and out of hospital recently having tests for what turns out to be a brain tumour. The situation is as follows. The tumour is extensive and aggressive, and the doctors are unable to cut it all out. Obviously, this has been a huge shock for us and as a family, but we are trusting Jesus, our Good Shepherd, who not only walks with us through the dark valleys, but has a purpose for every day of our lives until we meet him in heaven. Here is someone clinging firmly to their faith in Jesus when death is literally knocking at their door. And I start with this letter because we know if we've lived any length of life, we know that suffering will come. We know that grief will come. In this mental health week, that is what we are recognizing. Some of us may have already experienced this kind of suffering. Perhaps for others of us, it is in the future. But I want to ask us this evening, when that moment comes, when that suffering comes, when that grief comes, where will your faith be? This passage that we've had read for us is all about the nature of faith. We get to ride along with the royal official as we see his faith grow from a flicker of faith to a flaming faith. And this all happens in the furnace of faith. And it's my prayer that by the end of this passage, we will be encouraged. Our faiths will be strengthened and deepened and expanded as we marvel again at the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. So let's turn now in our passage as we start this journey with the flicker of faith. Now Jesus has just returned from Galilee uh, to Galilee, after spending some time in Jerusalem, came via Samaria, where many Samaritans put their faith in him. 
And then while he was in Canaan, verse 47 tells us, there was a royal official who heard he was there. He heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea. And he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now there are two things that I want to draw out from this verse about the flicker of faith. And the first one of these you might find a little bit surprising. The first one of these is that a flicker of faith isn't a blind faith, but it's a faith based in reason. Did did you see that in this verse? Uh, This this man, he didn't walk 38 kilometers up the hill from Capernaum to Canaan to ask some random person to heal his son. No, the passage says that he specifically sought out Jesus. He'd most likely heard the reports Uh, from people coming back from Jerusalem after the Passover, of this man called Jesus who was performing these miracles and healing people. And then he considered these reports. He considered who brought the reports to them. He, He weighed the evidence. And then he set out on a full day's walk to see Jesus. His flicker of faith wasn't a blind faith. It started from thinking. It started from a place of reason. And the second thing that this verse teaches us about a flicker of faith is that this flicker of faith can be sparked by desperate need. If it wasn't for his son's helpless state, this man may never have sought out Jesus in the first place. Uh, The great English preacher Charles Spurgeon uh, once said, Sometimes it's on the back of the black horse of desperation that God's mercy rides. Isn't that a great image? And friends, you may be watching today and you may feel like you're on the back of that black horse of desperation. Whatever your desperation might be, be it physical, be it psychological, be it financial, be it relational, God wants you to bring that to him. Cry out to him. Lay whatever it is at his feet and ask him to help. But the thing is, as this man learns, when you do that, sometimes God doesn't answer you as you expect. Sometimes he doesn't answer you as you desire. And this is where the flicker of faith starts to be forged in the furnace of faith. Now, do you know back in the first century how they used to purify gold? And they used to purify gold by putting it deep into a furnace, heating it up really hot so the impurities of the gold would rise to the surface and then they would skim them off, uh, purifying the gold. Well, this is a little bit like what Jesus is doing here for the royal official. He's turning up the dial of heat. He's seeking to expose the impurities of the royal official's faith and transform it into a flaming faith, a life-giving faith, a life-changing faith. And we see him start to do this with Jesus' response in verse 48. Did, Did you see it? The royal officials just come to Jesus and said, my son's dying, can you come and heal him? And look at Jesus' response. He says, verse 48, he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. 
Now put yourself in the royal official's shoes. That's a little bit of a strange response. That's probably not what he was expecting after he'd heard these reports of Jesus healing many people in Jerusalem. It, it may even seem a bit harsh. But as we dig into Jesus' response, we see that it's a response full of love. Uh, Jesus is seeking to draw this royal official out. He's seeking to deepen and expand his faith. A bit like Jesus did with the Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7. And friends, this is the lesson for us to take away when we're feeling like we're in the furnace of faith. Sometimes, Jesus just won't answer us how we expect. But he always answers us how we need. He may be wanting to draw us out. He may be wanting to expand your faith. He may be wanting to take you into the furnace of faith so that our faith grows, so that it becomes a life-giving faith. James, Jesus' younger brother, he, he sums it up like this in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Friends, I pray that when we're in this place, when we're feeling that desperation, where Jesus hasn't asked or answered us as we desired or expected, I pray that we wouldn't turn away from him. But I pray that we would turn to him. I pray that we would lean into him. I pray that we would seek the deeper lesson that he has for us to learn. And this is exactly what the royal official does. Verse 49. Sir, he says, come down before my child dies. His faith is starting to form in the furnace. But Jesus isn't done with him yet. Jesus still has a couple more lessons for him to learn. And the next lesson is a key lesson in faith. That we can't come to Jesus on our terms. Did you notice as the royal official was coming to Jesus, he was coming on his terms. If you look again at verse 47 and 49, uh, you'll see that the royal official had been asking Jesus to come down to heal his son, to come and heal his son. He assumed that Jesus actually had to be there in person. But this assumption was wrong. Uh, he didn't know that this town, Canaan, where Jesus was, Jesus had already turned water into wine with just his words. He was not like the centurion in Luke 7 who simply had faith that Jesus could heal his servant with a word. By approaching Jesus on his terms, the royal official's terms, he actually limited Jesus' power and what he thought Jesus could do. Now I have to ask you, where are we approaching Jesus on our terms? What, do our, what does our prayer life reveal about us and what we think Jesus can do? 
Have we limited him and his power? Have we given up praying for things that Jesus is able to fix? What assumptions are we making about Jesus that are not true? Well, it's these misguided assumptions that Jesus seeks to break down in the furnace of faith. And he starts to do this for the royal official in verse 50. Have a look at verse 50 with me. Jesus replied, Go, your son will live. Now this is a test. He's asking the royal official to step out in faith without seeing a sign. He's seeking to move this royal official's faith from a a rational belief to a personal trust in Jesus and his word. Now, this movement from rational belief to personal trust in Jesus' word is often illustrated by preachers by sharing the story of Charles Blondin. Now, this is Charles Blondin here. He's a French acrobat who became famous in 1859 for walking across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Now, now this guy was so good walking across the Niagara Falls, uh, he did it blindfolded. He did it on stilts. At one time, he even walked and stopped in the middle on the tightrope, sat down, made an omelette, cooked it, and ate it. That's how good this guy was at walking across a tightrope. Now, there was on one occasion where he pushed a wheelbarrow across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope full of potatoes. And, And when he got to the other side, He said to the crowd there, he said, you just saw me push a wheelbarrow full of potatoes across the falls. Do you think that I could push a person? And the crowd enthusiastically, they all said, yeah, we think you could do it. Go. They had seen with their eyes what he could do. They had this rational belief. Then Charles said, who wants to hop in? Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? There was dead silence. No one was willing to move from rational belief to personal trust. The actual only person who was, was Charles's manager, who jumped in the wheelbarrow as he wheeled him across. And it's this move, friends, that Jesus is calling this man to do, to move from rational belief to personal trust without seeing a sign. He's asking him to live out his faith. And there's a challenge for us here, isn't there? Are we willing to get in Jesus' wheelbarrow? Are we willing to trust him with everything? Well, I know a lot of us struggle at this point. I know you struggle because I've heard it from you, but I know that I struggle at this point to jump in Jesus' wheelbarrow. We say at different points in our life, we say, yes, I believe in Jesus. But in our hearts, we know that we have put our trust into someone or something else. We say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I'm really trusting money to save me. Or we say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I'm really trusting my relationship 
to fulfill me. Or we say, yes, I believe in Jesus, but we're really looking to our job to give us meaning and purpose. And friends, often it's in the furnace of faith that Jesus starts to strip away these pseudo-saviors and calls us just to trust him for who he is. It's in the furnace of faith that our rational belief moves to a personal trust. But I can hear just someone pushing back a little bit and saying on their couch going, well, how much faith? How much faith do I need to put into Jesus? How much faith do I need? Well, this passage reveals that we just need enough faith to take that first step. Have a look at verse 50 with me. Uh, The man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man stepped out in faith without seeing a sign. He He didn't know if his son was healed or not, but he stepped out trusting that that was true. His faith may have been small, but he was about to learn that it didn't matter about the size of his faith. It mattered where he had placed his faith. And he learned this in verse 51. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his son was living. Can you just imagine the joy that he felt at that point? Uh, When he inquired about the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son would live. He was healed instantly, the moment that Jesus spoke. Now it wasn't the official's faith that healed his son. It was where he placed that faith. Now it's a little bit like bungee jumping. I have actually never been bungee jumping myself because I don't have enough faith. But I've watched people go bungee jumping and I've seen people walking up to the platform and there are people there who have lots of faith and there are people there who have a little amount of faith. But it doesn't matter about the size of their faith. What happens is where they've placed their faith and if they've placed it in the bungee cord. And that's the same with us. Some of us will have huge amounts of faith. Whereas others of us will feel like we have just the faith the size of a mustard seed. Yet it doesn't matter about the size of the faith. It matters where we've placed the faith. And it's in the furnace of faith that our faith expands. It's here that faith is formed. And it's in the furnace that our flicker of faith is turned into a flaming faith. Now did you see this flaming faith at the end? Of verse 53. Verse 53, at the very end, just after he remembered that Jesus said, Your son will live, it says, So he and his whole household believed. At this moment, 
This man and his family's whole life changed. Uh, He now knew personally that Jesus loved him and could be trusted. He then started to share that with his family. This flaming faith he started to share. And they believed in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Now friends, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a story like this? Wouldn't it be wonderful to walk into church and say, there's my son who was sick, who was now healed. Jesus did it. Wouldn't it be great if Jesus did that for us? Well, the reality is, is that he has. Did you see verse 54, the last verse there? It says, this was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming to, from Judea to Galilee. This second sign, as we've been learning through John's Gospel, points to the sign of signs. That's Jesus' death and resurrection in our place. And I can only imagine when Jesus said to this father, your son will live, he was thinking of his own father. Because Jesus knew that the day was coming when God the Father would experience the anguish pain and grief of losing his own son so that this father's son may live. Jesus could only save those with a small amount of faith because he faithfully would die for all the times that you and I have been faithless. And friends, it's here on this firm and solid foundation on which you can entrust your life. As the author to the letter of, for the letter of Hebrews puts it, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As we begin to see Jesus in this light, through the trials, through the tests, through the suffering, through the grief, as we begin to see his faithfulness to us, we will begin to love him for who he is, not just what he can do for us. This is the faith that my friend with the tumor has. This is the faith that the royal official finally understood. And I pray that this is the faith that you have too, no matter what situation you're in. Not a flaky faith, but a flaming faith forged in the furnace of faith and resting on that firm foundation of our faith, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and we're going to now, uh, Hugh's going to join me on the couch for Q&A. There's a lot of questions there in Slido. Uh, We don't have time to get to all of them. We're only going to do a short little session here, but I'm going to pick up more questions during Sermon Extra this week. So join us on our Christchurch St. Ives members Facebook page for those that uh, Sermon Extra later on this week. But Hugh, great to see you. Yeah, it's great to be here. And we do have a lot of questions that have come through and still moving around with some votes. 
we'll jump right in. Our first one is from Soph, and she asks, what should we do if we really want signs from God to help strengthen our faith? It can sometimes be hard to trust when we cannot see God. Yeah, Soph, I think that's a great question. I think it's a question that lots of people are asking, particularly when we are young in our faith. Uh, We are sort of seeking to know and feel if God is there. Uh, One of the dangers of sort of resting our faith there on the feelings and the emotions and the signs and the wonders is what if God doesn't come through? Or what if he doesn't come through as we expect he should? And I, I sort of say that when we're young in our faith, we can be wanting that. We can be wanting to see that. But the beauty of actually a maturing faith over time, as we get older, uh, we can look back with hindsight and see how God has come through for us, maybe in ways that we never expected. And this is the beautiful thing about talking to older people who have lived the Christian life for not a couple of years but lived it for 60, 70, 80 years and hearing the stories of how God has actually worked in their life. Uh, Personally, for myself, I actually keep a journal of all the times that God has come through for me uh, so that when I'm feeling like he's not there, I actually open that back up and read of all the times that he came through, but maybe and often they're in ways that I didn't expect. So I'd encourage you, if that may help you, to to do that. I think that's really helpful that there's no greater sign or miracle than a changed life, a transformed life in Christ. So just look around amongst our congregation, amongst our church, and see some some signs there. It's brilliant. And and when you think about it, sorry, one other thing here, sorry. When you think about it, what we have here is basically a journal of all the times that God has come through for his people. And so I encourage you to read his word as well. Very helpful. Um, Now jumping to our next question. You said, this is from Meg, by the way, you said his faith didn't heal, it was where he put his faith. Is this different from in Mark, chapter 5, verse 34, when Jesus says to the sick lady, your faith heals you? Yeah, Meg, again, great question. Um, They're both people of faith. Uh, So here, it's not so much that it was his faith that healed him, Uh, it was where he placed his faith, in the same way as the lady in Mark also placed her faith in Jesus. Like, faith is one of those um, sort of rubbery words. You know, we can have faith in lots of things. Uh, We can have faith in this, that, and the other. And in our day and age, a lot of people actually make the argument they don't have any faith at all. They just believe on reason. But that actually, when you break it down to its fundamentals, is actually based on faith. Uh, When we go back right to the beginning, what was right at the beginning? Well, no one knows. There's speculation, and we have to trust on faith what certain people say, particularly scientists. But when we're thinking about the the matter of faith in these, it's actually the the woman in Mark and the person here, the the father, they they are showing the same faith. It's a faith placed firmly in the person and work of Jesus. And that's, friends, where I would encourage you to place your faith. Thank Again, you. that's very helpful, and I know there's some more great questions on the Q&A on Slido, but you'll be getting to them later in the week, and look forward to seeing those answers then. Oh. Brilliant. Thanks, Tim.